<laughs> Books, a vast source of knowledge and entertainment. When it comes to reading, I'm a man of facts, not fiction. Did you know ancient Chinese warriors would show off their juggling skills before battle? Or that male lizards show off by doing push-ups? You're doing great. The Eiffel Tower varies as much as six inches in height, depending on temperature. Cinderella originally didn't wear glass slippers. She wore fur ones. <laughs> you see, fact can be stranger than fiction, and the truth can surprise even me. And when it comes right down to it, sometimes, it's hard to believe. All right, everybody. Hey, welcome to Eagle River Church. It's good to have you with us today at our campuses and watching online. We are beginning a brand new series today called It's Hard to Believe. And I find lots of things hard to believe these days. I find it hard to believe that the Twins are still in playoff contention and it's July. I thought they'd win 70 games at the beginning of the year. So that's hard to believe. I find it hard to believe that any men... Live until the age of 50 when you see signs like this one. Someone on the side screen here. This year, thousands of men will die from stubbornness. Some guy spray paints. No, he won't. No, that's probably not going to happen. So there are lots of things that are hard to believe, but today's message is titled, It's Hard to Believe in the Second Coming. Don't you think so? I mean, let's be honest. It's hard to believe that one day you're going to wake up and you're going to be watching TV playing video games, at work, on a walk, fixing dinner, pulling through the drive through when all of a sudden you're going to look up and see Jesus Christ returning in all of his glory. Amen. In fact, people will ask me sometimes if I've ever had doubts about Christianity. And my answer to that is always, well, of course. I mean, I think everybody has doubts from time to time, but we're going to look at one of mine today. I have always struggled to believe in the return of Christ. It just seems so crazy to me. Look at how the Bible describes the return of Christ in 1 Thessalonians. Paul says this, he says, First, all the Christians who have died will rise from their graves. So everybody who has died before Jesus returns will have resurrected bodies that will start rising out of the grave. He then says, Then together with them, we who are still alive and remain on earth will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air and remain with him forever. And then I get a kick out of this last line. He says this, So comfort and encourage each other with these words. <laughs> comfort and encourage each other with the idea that dead bodies are rising out of the ground and we're floating up in the air to meet Jesus? I mean, I don't know how comforting and encouraging that is for everyone. Freaky, scary, a motivation to become a doomsday prepper, maybe. But not so comforting and encouraging. And so I've wondered about this. In fact, the question I want to raise today is this. Do you believe that Jesus Christ will return to this earth? And if so, how prepared are you for that day? Several years ago, my wife and I went to her grandparents' cabin near Annandale to celebrate the 4th of July. And one of her uncles had just gotten a brand new speedboat. And so everybody was anxious to get out on the water and do some tubing. One of the tubes held two people. And so Sarah's other uncle, Kelly, asked me if I would pair up with him on this tube. Now, I love Sarah's uncle, Kelly. He has Down syndrome, which obviously has its challenges, but he is sharp. If you ask him when my birthday is, he can probably tell you November 5th. And I'm just an in-law in their huge family. He calls me every birthday 
and leaves me a voicemail that says, Happy birthday, you old man. <laughs> Even though he's older than I am. I don't know how that works. So he's a lot of fun. So we get out on the lake and we're tubing. And of course, Kelly is just hot dogging it. He's sitting up on the tube doing these macho man Randy Savage poses, you know, kind of thing, which probably wouldn't have bothered anyone except his brothers, who just happened to be driving the boat. Now, at this point, I'm sort of leisurely holding on, just enjoying the ride around the lake. But now I notice that Kelly's brothers take the boat in a wide turn, throw down the throttle, and that boat begins to go as fast as it can across the lake. Now I'm hanging on for dear life. I am picking my feet up because the water feels like cement. We went like that for about a minute or so, when all of a sudden Kelly's brothers whipped the boat in a turn as fast as they could. Now I saw the turn coming, so I don't know why I was surprised by this, but in an instant I shot off that tube like a missile. All of the following events happened in less than 10 seconds of time. My tube flipped. I went face first into the water at such a speed I initially thought I had broken my nose. I shot out of my swimsuit <laughs> and spiraled naked five feet down into the water. It's been several years since we've been invited back for the fourth, and I'm very insecure about that. Now, here's my point. One moment, I'm leisurely enjoying this ride across the lake, and the next minute, I'm naked with enough water to fill a pond in my ear, and I'm literally going, what just happened? I wasn't prepared for that at all. I hope that's not how you feel when Jesus returns. The Bible says that your life will be going along as normal. It'll feel like a leisurely ride around the lake, and then in a less than 10 second period of time, your whole reality will be altered. The Bible makes it clear that Jesus Christ will return, and so the question I want to ask you is this, how prepared are you for that? It could happen as fast as a tube flipping over. And when it does, I don't want you to be holding on for dear life and going, what just happened? I wasn't prepared for that. I wonder if that's how some people felt before Jesus came to this earth the first time. In fact, did you know there are 48 prophecies in the Old Testament about Jesus coming to earth the first time? Let me just read a few of these for you. The first one is in 725 BC, God spoke to a prophet named Micah. And he said that the Savior or Messiah would be born in a town called Bethlehem. Now, we don't think anything of that today. We sing about Bethlehem every Christmas. But at the time, Bethlehem was kind of like Hugo or Ham Lake. It was a small, rural, hick kind of town. Not the place you'd expect a Savior or Messiah to come from. I mean, Jerusalem, maybe. Rome, for sure. But not from Bethlehem. Then, in 700 B.C., God spoke to the prophet Isaiah and said that the Savior or Messiah would be born to a virgin. You say, well, that's, that's rather odd. It is. That's why it was a sign. Then in 500 B.C., God spoke to a prophet named Zechariah, and he said that the Savior or Messiah would be betrayed for 30 pieces of silver, which would then be thrown into 
the temple. It was very specific. Not 29 pieces, not 31 pieces, 30 pieces of silver. Who's it talking about here? Well, Judas Iscariot betrayed Jesus for exactly 30 pieces of silver, and then in a moment of guilt, threw them back into the temple. Here's a final one. In Psalm 22, it says that the Savior or Messiah will be pierced through his hands and through his feet. It seems to be clearly speaking of a crucifixion here, except for the fact that crucifixions hadn't been invented at the time that Psalm 22 was written. In other words, it's a prophecy about how the Messiah will die before that form of death was even invented. Several years ago, they did a mathematical study where they tried to determine what the probability would be of one person fulfilling eight of these messianic prophecies, let alone all 48, but just eight of them. They found that the odds of that in one person were one in 100 million billion. Let me put that into perspective for you. That would be like taking 100 million billion silver coins and covering the state of Texas with them two feet deep. You then marked one of the coins with a red dot, drop someone off in the middle of Texas, and they pull the red marked coin first try. That's Jesus. Jesus fulfilled 48 messianic prophecies. The probability of that happening in one man are one in a trillion to the 13th power. But here's what I want you to do for just a moment. Imagine with me that you are living in the year 10 BC. And it's been about 4,000 years since God first said he would send a savior in the book of Genesis. It's been about 600 years since God spoke to Isaiah and said that the savior would be born to a virgin. And now you're sitting around and you're going, it's hard to believe. It's hard to believe that God is going to send a savior born in Bethlehem to a virgin, betrayed for 30 pieces of silver and crucified through his hands and through his feet. I mean, come on, it's been like 4,000 years. If he was going to come, why hasn't he come yet? I wonder if that's what some people thought before Jesus came the first time. It's what many people think today. Even though there's five times as many prophecies in the Bible concerning Christ's second coming as there is his first. So here's what I want to do today. I want to take you to a chapter of the Bible that I have been reading almost every day for the last month or so. About a month ago, I went to Kentucky Fried Chicken for lunch and got one of their famous bowls. Went to KFC. This is out of character for me. I hadn't been there in years. But I went and got lunch there, and I drove to a park, and I started reading this chapter, 2 Peter chapter 3. And I don't know if it was the fried chicken or what, but it was like God was just like, and just spoke into my life as I ate lunch and read this chapter. And I got so fired up about this chapter of the Bible, I decided to start reading it every day for the next month. And I really believe today that whether or not you right now believe in the return of Christ, God is going to use it to speak into your life as well. Let's look at how Peter begins this chapter. He says this, I want to remind you that in the last days there will be scoffers who will laugh at the truth and do every evil thing they desire. That's pretty true to form to how the world is today. I mean, I don't know if you know this or not, but there are people who laugh at Christianity. 
They scoff at Christianity and think, how could you believe something so stupid? And they do every evil thing that they desire. Peter goes on, he says, this will be their argument. Jesus promised to come back, did he? (laughs) Well, then where is he? As far back as anyone can remember, everything has remained exactly the same since the world was first created. 2 Peter was written between the years of 65 and 68 AD. And yet Peter perfectly anticipates what the objections will be in 2015. Because this is people's argument today. They'll say, well, if he's going to return, where is he? It's been 2,000 years since he came the first time. And every day just goes on like the day before it. I remember reading this for the first time and thinking, okay, now he's in my head. Because this was my question. This was my struggle with the return of Christ. I would think, well, it's been 2,000 years. And every day it's just he hasn't returned yet. And yet in the rest of this chapter, Peter gives two reasons why Christ hasn't returned yet. He then gives one warning and one promise. Let's look at the two reasons why he hasn't returned yet first. Peter says this, he says, first of all, God's not on your timetable. He's not on your timetable. He's not on my timetable. He says this in verse 8, he says, but you must not forget, dear friends, that a day is like a thousand years to the Lord and a thousand years... Is like a day. Now, this is a heady concept, but God is outside of the framework of time. He has always existed. He's outside of time, He's eternal. And to an eternal being like God, a thousand years is like a day. The best analogy that I could think for this is how fast life goes as you age. I can remember being 10 years old. And I read that the peak age for an athlete was 27. When I was 10, that was important information to me. And I can literally remember thinking, I got to wait 17 years before I hit my peak athletic performance. Now I'm 36 and washed up. (laughs) I was playing basketball at the YMCA a couple weeks ago. And I'm guarding this kid who's in college. He's like 15 years younger than me. And I found myself using all the old man tricks that it used to bug me when I was in high school. So every time he'd drive past me, I'd grab onto his shirt just a little bit, you know, to try to carry myself along for the ride. (laughs) And it's all downhill from here for me. But see, here's my point. When When you're 10 years old, 27 seems like an eternity. And then you turn 50 and life just starts flying by. Now, this is an analogy, so I acknowledge that it breaks down if you press too hard on it. But God is eternal. If you think time flies when you're 50, imagine if you were eternal. Peter says a thousand years is like a day to God. And so we're down here going, well, come on, it's been 2,000 years. Where are you? And God's going, it's been two days. Can you be a little patient with me? In fact, when people will say, well, oh yeah, well, if Jesus is going to return, why hasn't he returned yet? That's a little bit like saying, oh, you think I'm going to die someday? Because I've never died before. I mean, every day I wake up. Never not woken up. You're telling me one day I'm not going to wake up? Well, well, yes, of course. That's why they call it the end. If it hasn't happened yet, then it's not the end. 
there's only one end. And so Peter's point is that God isn't on our timetable. Second reason that Peter gives for why Christ hasn't returned is this. He says, God's not late. He's waiting. Look at verse 9. It says, the Lord isn't really being slow about his promise to return, as some people think. No, he's being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to perish, so he is giving more time for everyone to repent. Here is my answer to those who scoff and say, well, if Jesus is going to return, why hasn't he returned yet? My answer is this, you. You are the reason that he hasn't returned yet. He's being patient with you. He doesn't want anyone to perish. In fact, be careful what you wish for. When the book of Revelation describes the return of Christ, it says that he'll be riding on a white horse, wearing a robe dipped in blood, and carrying a sword by which to judge the nations. Now, whether or not that imagery is literal or not, the picture is a terrifying one for unbelievers. It describes unbelievers trying to hide under rocks, but having no place to go. If you are a follower of Christ, let me tell you, the day that Jesus returns will be the best day of your life. If you have rejected Christ, it will be the opposite. Now, if you're listening to this message and you've rejected Christ or haven't put your trust in him for some reason, my guess is that you don't believe the Bible. So that's a less than persuasive argument to you. But let's just set that aside for a moment, and let's just say it's true. Let's say that there's a God who knows you. He knows your name. And he loves you so much that he is delaying the end of the entire cosmos because he loves you and doesn't want you to perish. That is a love that surpasses all human understanding. Do you know that love today? Do your family members and friends know that kind of love today? In fact, think of someone in your life that you know that hasn't put their faith in Christ. And then think this thought. Jesus Christ hasn't returned yet because he is waiting for Tom, for Kyle, for Melissa or Ashley to repent. That's our God. His love for you is so irrational that he is delaying the end of the entire world because he is waiting for you. You won't find a boyfriend or girlfriend who loves you like that. You won't find a child who loves you like that. You won't find a love like that anywhere else in this world today apart from Jesus Christ. And God wants you to know that love. Not just hear words about it, but to feel it and to experience it in your life which leads to Peter's warning. He says this, you won't get a 15-minute warning, so be prepared. Look what he writes in the next verse. He says, but the day of the Lord will come as unexpectedly as a thief. Then the heavens will pass away with a terrible noise and everything in them will disappear in fire. And the earth and everything on it will be exposed to judgment. I remember coming back to my car at the Como Zoo and realizing that our window was broken and my wife's purse was gone. Just one minute earlier, we'd been walking along the path, each kid talking about what their favorite animal was at the zoo that day, and now I'm frantically sweeping up glass and my wife is on the phone with the bank. 
The Bible says that when Jesus Christ returns, it will come as unexpectedly as a thief. One person will be out tubing on the lake. Another person will be out sitting on their back deck. One person will be planning out their retirement. Another person scheduling their summer vacation. One person at work on the computer. Another person at home doing chores. It will come as unexpectedly as a thief. In fact, every few years or so, somebody will claim that they know the day that Jesus is going to return. Charles Russell, the founder of the Jehovah's Witnesses, he said, Jesus will return in 1914. Then when that didn't happen, he said, well, you know, maybe it was 1915. And then it was 1918 after that. And a man named Edgar Wisenant wrote a book called 88 Reasons That Jesus Will Return in 1988. I don't think that book is any longer in print. <laughs> then there was the whole Mayan calendar controversy that convinced people that Jesus was going to be returning December 21st, 2012. Here's the problem with all these. Jesus himself says that he doesn't know the date of his return. Only the Father in heaven knows that information. And so if somebody ever asks you, when is Jesus going to return? The correct answer is, I don't know. It will come unexpectedly. When my wife leaves the house in the morning, generally she does so in a chaotic world. And so one time I had to come home in the middle of the day because I was letting in this guy who was fixing some screens for us. And as I walked him through our kitchen, I noticed that on the counter there was a piece of toast with peanut butter spread over half of it. And then the knife was laying next to it. There were cereal bowls and cereal boxes all over the countertop. There were piles of kids' clothes lying on the floor right next to their shoes. And so I turned to this guy and said, Oh no, we missed the rapture. <laughs> he didn't get it. Right over his head. But that's how it will be. You'll be halfway through putting peanut butter on your toast and your life as you know it will be changed forever. And there won't be a warning. You're not going to get a little buzz on your phone that gives you a notification from your Microsoft Outlook calendar saying 15 minutes till Jesus returns. You're not going to get any warning. It will come unexpectedly. Look what Peter says again in this verse. It says, the heavens will pass away in a terrible noise and everything will disappear in fire. Everything on earth will be exposed to judgment. That's you and that's me. We will be exposed to judgment. I was talking to a woman a while back about a relationship with Christ. And at one point she sort of stopped me and she said, you know, I believe that God exists. That's good enough for me. And the way she said it was so flippant. It was so just like, eh, whatever. And I thought to myself, you know, there's a big difference between believing that there's a God who exists and believing that you will stand before him one day to give an account of your life. That he will judge your life. Because it's nice to think about a God who's there for you when you're down and who's there to kind of keep your self-esteem high. But it's a completely different thing to think about bowing down to him and surrendering to him your life. In Revelation 19, it says that when Jesus returns, he will have this title written on his robe and on his thigh, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. 
when Jesus returns, he is not coming back as a good moral teacher. He is coming back as king of kings and lord of lords. And his kingship extends to every person, place, or thing. Jesus Christ is lord over Hillary Clinton and Jeb Bush. He is lord over Anderson Cooper and Bill O'Reilly. He is lord over Katy Perry, Taylor Swift, and Beyonce. He is lord over Tiger Woods, LeBron James, and even Bill Belichick. He is lord over the entire Kardashian clan. He is lord over Mick Jagger and Bono. He is lord over Richard Dawkins, Bill Maher, and Billy Graham. He is lord over Wall Street, State Street, and Main Street. He is lord over 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. He's lord over Madison Avenue, Michigan Avenue, Park Avenue. He is lord over Hollywood Boulevard and Times Square. And if you go home today, look at your address. Because he is lord over that as well. And the Bible says that there is a day coming when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is king of kings and lord of lords. And here's my question for you. How prepared are you for that day? The Bible says that it's only through faith in Christ that we can be saved. He is the one who takes the judgment that we should have been exposed to. He didn't deserve that. He had lived a sinless life, but he takes it for us. In fact, we are not saved by believing there's a God who exists. We are saved when we confess our sin and put our faith in Christ and surrender our entire life to him. Have you done that? Have you confessed your sin and have you surrendered your life to Jesus Christ? Because this leads to the promise. And the promise is this. If you are a believer in Christ, the return of Christ will be the best day of your life. Look at what Peter writes next. He says, you should look forward to that day and hurry it along. The day when God will set the heavens on fire and the elements will melt away in the flames. And I remember reading that for the first time and thinking, why am I trying to hurry along a day when the elements are melting away? But he says in the next verse, he says, but we are looking forward to the new heavens and new earth as he has promised, a world where everyone is right with God. There will be a new heaven and a new earth. It will be like the Garden of Eden again. And notice that he says, new earth. Forget the harps and clouds, everyone. There's going to be mountains. There's going to be waterfalls. There's going to be rivers. There's going to be work and enjoyment. There's going to be music and sports and maybe even NASCAR. I don't know about the last one. We'll see. <laughs> and even more importantly than that, there will be no death. There will be no fear. You will not be in pain anymore. There will be no tears. Why would anyone be afraid of that? As I was preparing for this message, I watched a couple of episodes of Doomsday Preppers. I don't know if you've seen this show or not, but it's the number one show on National Geographic, so I'm assuming that many of you have seen it. Its Wikipedia page describes it as a reality TV show for people who are prepping for an economic collapse, natural disaster, or electromagnetic radiation. I had to look that last one up. On their website, they have a zombie breakout simulator. I'm not making this up. 
Therefore, if you're worried about a zombie breakout, you can go and you can simulate what that will be like. So that when and if it happens, your body will go, oh, no big deal. Not flustered by zombie breakouts. I've dealt with these before I took the simulator. <laughs> there is a cookbook. It's called Doomsday for Foodies. I don't know if you're interested in this, if you're a foodie or not. But the back cover says, if you think that Doomsday is going to be all about rice and beans, think again. Recipes include molten lava cake, four cheese risotto, all made with shelf-stable food ingredients. Now, on the show that I was watching, it was this man who was making his own home security system. He was using eight smoke bombs, 24 road flares, and 34 firework fountains. He then invited his neighbors over to his house for what he called a party. And this party consisted of his neighbors having to try to approach his house at night while he set off these road flares and smoke bombs trying to disorient them. I don't know if they were just afraid of what he would do to them if they said no to this party. But that's the night you turn your light off, lights off and pretend that you're not home. But here's what I noticed watching this show. I had two observations. These people are preparing physically, and there's nothing wrong with that, by the way. But what about spiritually? All the canned foods in the world aren't going to do you any good when Jesus Christ returns to judge your life. I want to be a prepper but I want to be a spiritual prepper. Look at what Peter says in the next verse. He says, while you are waiting for these things to happen, what should we do? He says, make every effort to live a pure and blameless life and be at peace with God. Notice that he says, make every effort. In other words, don't drift. Don't coast. Make every effort to live a pure and blameless kind of life. And it does take effort. I mean, let's be honest. There are days I don't feel like reading the Bible. I feel like just scrolling through Twitter. But I want to know God, and I want to live a holy life. So I make every effort to do that. As a man, it's hard to live a pure life. Turn on the TV, turn on the computer, look up at the billboards. Images being bombarded at you every single day. But I want to live a pure life. And so I want to make every effort to look the other way. Peter says, make every effort. Let me ask you, are you doing that? Are you making every effort to live a pure and blameless life? And are you at peace with God? That's the kind of preparation you want to make. But my second observation in watching this show is how scared some people are for the day that Jesus returns. I want you to hear today that if you're a believer in Christ, this is going to be the best day of your life. It's going to be better than your wedding day. It's going to be better than your honeymoon. It's going to be better than the day that your kids were born. It is going to be the most exhilarating, joyful moment that you have ever experienced before. Why would anyone be afraid of that? Several years ago, my mother-in-law got me the Born series of movies. So Born Identity, Born Supremacy, Born Ultimatum. And today, they're some of my favorite movies, but at the time, I hadn't seen them in the theater. And so I sat down to watch Born Identity for the first time, and there's this scene where Matt Damon's character is hiding out at a country farmhouse. And what he doesn't realize is the bad guys have tracked him to this farmhouse. And there is a trained assassin with a gun pointed right at his door. And so the next morning, Jason Bourne wakes up, and the creepy music starts to play, and I find myself getting tense. 
and I'm getting nervous, and I'm getting afraid, and I'm starting to think, born, don't go out that door. There is a highly trained sniper. He's got a rifle with a scope pointed right at that door. And Jason Bourne starts going towards the door. And I'm like, no, what are you thinking? Don't go towards that door. And then I had this thought. There's a sequel. <laughs> Sitting in my drawer. I can watch it tomorrow night if I want to. And Jason Bourne's picture's on the front. So I'm guessing he doesn't die in this one. And just having that thought changed everything. I went from being tense, nervous, and afraid to thinking, oh, he's got this. If you are a believer in Christ here today, you need to know something. There's a sequel. Even when heaven and earth melt away, that's not the end of the story. There's a sequel. There's a new heaven and a new earth. And just knowing that should change the way that we live. It's so easy to look at the news or to look at the world today, or even our own lives, and to become fearful of what's going to happen, and to become nervous, and to become afraid. But we know the end of the story. There's a new heaven. There's a new earth. Jesus says, in this life, you will have trouble, but take heart, because I have overcome the world. No matter what trouble you're facing in your life today, no matter what trouble you see on the news or in the world today, take heart. Jesus Christ has overcome this world. So yes, live with an urgency to reach people for Christ. Don't let the scoffers get to you. But then don't be afraid, because there is a sequel, and it is even better than the first. Let's stand together as we close in prayer. Hey, before you leave, uh, we have our baptism service, our summer baptism today, 3 o'clock and 5.30 out at Lake Johanna. And we have over 700 people signed up already. That's way beyond what we had last year at this point. And so if you are on the fence on this one, if you put your faith in Christ but you've never been baptized, just show up today and take that step of obedience. Maybe today in reading this chapter, God stirred something in you and you're realizing, you know what, I'm not prepared for that day. In just a moment, we're going to pray, and you can give your life to Christ, and then go be baptized as a public declaration of that newfound faith. Next weekend's message, hard to believe in absolute truth. Never before has that question been more relevant in our world today. That's next weekend, hard to believe in relevant truth. Let's pray together. Lord, I pray for that person here today who, for whatever reason, may wonder if they're ready and may wonder if they're prepared for that day when you return to this earth. And God, they can become prepared with one moment, with one moment of crying out to you in faith and putting their trust in you. And so God, right now in this moment in their heart, they want to confess their sin to you. They want to ask that you would take the judgment that they should have been exposed to and to put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. They believe that he died for their sins and rose again. God, I pray that they would not walk from here unprepared or unsure of where they stand with you, but they can get right with you today, God. Lord, I pray for the people here who are believers in Christ. Lord, would you remind us that this will be the best day of our life 
And would you remind us that we know what the end of the story is? So we don't have to live in fear. We don't have to live in anxiety. We don't have to be nervous by what we see in the world or what we see in our own lives. Because we know what the end of the story is. There's a new heaven. And there's a new earth. There's no pain and there's no tears and there's no death and there's no fear. And so God, would you help us look forward to that day? God, these words truly are comforting and encouraging. And so I pray that we would leave here today comforted and encouraged by your spirit. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. If you need prayer, come on down front. Otherwise, have a great day, everybody.